Today's episode is supported by Vivo Barefoot, whose mission is very close to my heart. There's something incredibly powerful about feeling the ground beneath your feet. It's more than just like walking or running. It's about forming a connection with the earth, a connection that most modern footwear has unfortunately severed. Vivo Barefoot aims to mend this disconnect by making footwear that's wide, thin and flexible, enabling natural movement. Born from a long lineage of cobblers, Vivo Barefoot carries a rich heritage of craftsmanship and a deep understanding of what makes footwear truly beneficial for us. Enjoy the discount code HARVEST15. Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet, an event produced by Athena Advisors and Capital Partners. There's many good reasons for women to be fearful of their sex and sensuality and their eroticism, but we will never have true liberation until we can have ownership of our bodies. There's no way. I soldier on. And I have to say, I, I've done a, an extraordinary job of seducing the world and shifting the world. There, you know, even the fact that I was able to publish a book called Pussy, a reclamation, is a miracle that I never could have done you know, 20 years before when I'd started the school, that would have never, ever happened. Yeah. Uh, so change is possible. It's happening. It's going to continue. Uh, we're going in the in the right direction for the feminine. But uh, and I know that there's a lot of darkness surrounding us now, but I believe that darkest hour is just before the dawn. I feel that there's tremendous reason to hope that our world will wake up and value every drop of itself, including the feminine. Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona, and this episode is an interview with Regina Tomaschauer. As Harvest is organizing a retreat with her in November in Marrakech, I could interview her before, and believe me, she's quite a character. Hello, Regina. Yeah. Hello, Rose. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to meet you and to have the privilege and the opportunity touching your community and being of service in any way I can today to women and men in the world through pleasure. And uh, maybe we'll speak a bit um, later about uh, the retreat you're going to organize with the Harvest Series in, yeah. uh, in Morocco. Yeah, I'd love to. So you are uh, Regina, also called uh, Mama Gina, the founder and CEO of the School of Womanly Arts in New York City. Can you explain what do you teach women there? <laughs> <laughs> I think my school is the only one of its kind in the entire world. I've had the school since my daughter Maggie was born. Uh, so that's like 1998. Uh, so it's a long time. And I started this school in my living room with a handful of women. And it's since grown to where I've taught tens of thousands of women and my books have reached hundreds of thousands of women. So I wanted to say that because anyone who's listening 
that has the seed or the dream or an idea, I want you to say that it, it, it feel that that dream is yours to launch, to put on its feet, because brothers and sisters, I have to tell you that if I could create a school based on pussy and based on <laughs> pleasure, you can do anything you want in this world. <laughs> And, uh, and basically that's what I do at the school is, you know, I find that women, maybe you can identify with this. We've been taught to take care of our husbands, our families, our parents, our boss, uh, the coworkers, our kids, uh, to prioritize others. And then we have not been taught about the importance or the significance of investing in or investigating or researching or our own pleasure. And without that, very often women uh, run on empty. Uh, they feel depressed or lonely or disconnected or disenfranchised. And we don't know why exactly, because we see other women doing a lot of self-sacrifice. So we feels like that's what we're supposed to do. But until we can fill our well to overflowing. We have nothing to give. So my school is about sort of teaching a woman, you must prioritize your joy above all other values, must prioritize your pleasure. You must connect with your erotic sovereignty. You must learn about your pussy because a woman who owns her pussy owns her life and it just cuts like that. How does a woman who uh, owns a pussy owns a life? Can you explain? Can you tell me a bit more? Yeah. I mean, I think that you, you probably see this, right? You can look around at your friends, your relatives, and you see some women that have their light off, like their inner aliveness. It's just off. Maybe they are beautiful and they have a good job, but you just feel there's like a, I don't know, some kind of disconnect. She doesn't have a sense of alive passion with herself and the world. And when a woman is connected to her pussy, she is connected that, to that place in her that is eternal and alive, that no matter what happens to her, she has an understanding of the nature of the feminine, that we are divine. We are the source of life itself. Creation happens inside of our bodies. And once a woman can really own that power that can be accessed only through pleasure, she has a sense of confidence and a sense of ownership of herself as she moves through the world, handling her relationships with men, women, and children, a sense of her own innate power and her own, a, a sense of that she deserves, she deserves goodness from this life. And then she will stand for that. And, and I think that that is missing uh, when a woman doesn't have the opportunity to connect uh, to that which is essentially most feminine about herself. And do you think it's because of the patriarchal system, a system mm -hmm. that the women also make theirs, weirdly enough? Yeah, I think that living inside this patriarchal world culture, and I want to say I, I, the patriarchal world culture is not advantageous for men either. And it's not that men are bad and women are good. No, uh, we are all infinite beings capable of incredible magic and majesty. It's that the culture itself is imbalanced and 
for example, if you look at the world leaders, you know, most, most, the majority are men, people that own and run the corporations that dominate this culture are predominantly men. Women take up very scarce leadership positions inside of this world. So and not to mention that women are very often ignored, uh, disparaged, put down. The wages for women are considerably less than for men in the same job. It, it, there's just an imbalance. And, and what happens is, you know, when you have an imbalance, there's a a indigenous Native American legend, and it is also part of the Baha'i faith. There's like a bird of paradise that's, uh, and the bird of paradise, because of living in this patriarchal culture, is imbalanced. So if you imagine a bird and it has two wings, right? But yeah. this, this bird right now, the masculine wing is very strong, and the feminine wing is very subjugated and, and and weak and out of balance. And what happens is then the bird flies in circles. And so the object here of my work is mm -hmm. to balance that bird of paradise so that the masculine and the feminine work together. Because when we are flying together in the same direction, we can create so much beauty. We can have a balance that doesn't currently exist in you know all of the the different leadership of so many countries so the object of a woman's taking ownership and it's it seems like an you know let's say maybe the last place one would look to for a woman to find her power uh, but i think you learn just as much from a culture by what it ignores as what it values and a women's sexuality and a woman's erotic have been ignored by our culture. And both men and women suffer this because when a girl is uh, growing up and she's not taught about her own sexuality, but rather she's taught to be ashamed of it, then that shame spreads to every aspect of her life. So it's difficult for, for girls in this culture. And when you say the men would benefit also from that, you have a concrete example of uh, of this, of how the men would benefit to have like uh, women more connected to their feminine power? Well, I think if we just look at the world that's dominated by, you know, I think toxic male leadership right now, you know, with the absence of the feminine and, you know, we're disintegrating into a lot of fascism and there's so many wars and civil wars in this world. And I don't think that men are benefiting from any of that. And I think that if women took their place and stood for their points of view and stood for their perspectives and that their voices were heard and included, we might have some very different outcomes in terms of leadership than we have right now. So what are the first steps for a woman to reconnect with her feminine power and uh, maybe her pleasure and uh, mm. the, the joy of being a woman? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's, it, it's interesting, Rose. When I teach, you know, whether it's a class of 20 women or 2,000 women, I will always ask the same thing. I'll be like, what did your, you know, your parts <laughs> get called? Yeah. When you were a little girl. Well, what, did, what did your parts get called when you were a little girl? Oh, I think it was like an apricot, like the, um, the fruit. Okay. 
<laughs> okay. All right. So you had an apricot. Mine was called a sissy. And I've had purse, coochie, kitty cat, <laughs> wonton, uh, down there, uh, front bottom. Like you can't even imagine the crazy names that girls get. And, and it's really different. Um, if I have a room full of men, I'll say, what did your parts get called? And they'll be like, penis, what's your problem? Like, why are you asking me? That's, <laughs> well, yeah. you know, it's uh, a taboo. So, Already the name is a taboo. That's what yes, you mean. The name. Yeah. Now, yeah. now imagine this. You're a little tiny girl and you're not even given the name of that which is most essentially feminine about you. Even some funny little word. And then you notice that your next door neighbor and your teacher, they all call it something different. And then you're like, whoa, I, she has that. And I have a sissy or an apricot or a coochie. <laughs> I must be wrong. And then shame moves in. And when shame moves in, that shame permeates her body and her being. She begins to feel wrong for even just being a girl. You mentioned like uh, having children and uh, how does maternity impact women? Traditionally, like women spend more time with their children, have more pressure to be good. Uh, and then this notion of uh, self-sacrifice, how does it mm -hmm. change the relationship in the couples? It does, but uh, oh usually God. not in such a good way. Yeah. Not at all. Do you have kids? Yeah, two. How old are your kids? Nine and 11. Okay. So how has it changed for you? Because don't you, do you end up doing most of the housework or the work relating to the children? Yeah, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And you are not alone, Rose. All of us do. I mean, I was a single parent for my daughter. And it's so much because you're also working. Yeah. You're raising these children. And then you're supposed to be real sexy in the bedroom. Meanwhile, you're exhausted. <laughs> you just need a nap uh and so like what I'll do with the moms in my classes is kind of teach her how to have and and I'll be doing this in Marrakesh as well teach her how to have a regular practice of pleasure because when we can have a regular pleasure practice where we are connecting to our eroticism and connecting to our aliveness, then that pleasure kind of fuels all the responsibilities. Now, uh, most women, when I say this, they're like, oh, mama G, <laughs> with all the things that I'm supposed to do in my life, you are now telling me that I also have to handle my fucking pleasure? Are you crazy? No, 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 no. But the truth is, like, it, it could be little, tiny, tiny, tiny things that connect a woman to her joy. For example, for me, if uh, I take a bath instead of a shower, and literally, I don't have to take a long, soaky kind of bath for 40 minutes. But if I just put a little, you know, a bath together and I let myself soak in there, suddenly I feel like, oh, okay, here I am. And then if I add a little music to that bath and then I light a candle, okay, takes me literally 20 seconds to turn on a playlist because I've stuck the candle in the bathroom. I could, I could light it in 15 seconds, fill the bath another minute or so, 
And then it's only taken me two minutes and I'm in a different, I've chosen a small, tiny island that is for me. We're so accustomed to just having our attention out, 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 and trying to figure out everybody else's lives and then leaving the crumbs for ourselves. We don't normally do that. And And we would feel guilty like immediately, like when you have small children, uh, especially like anything that's just for you, like guilty on your uh, your head, like straight away. Exactly. And women can really help each other with this because like, for example, in my class, I'll have an opportunity for a woman to brag because that's, we do it. We do that every (laughs) session, which is just celebrating yourself for no reason. But a woman in my class the other day, because I have this small group mastermind, she was bragging that she has two sons and she's taught them. They both know how to do laundry and they both get so excited. One is five and one is eight. They know how to put the clothes. They put a little ladder. They put the clothes in the machine. She showed them how to put the detergent, how to push go. And so they now can take the laundry and put it in. And then she claps her hand. She says, you guys are so great. She taught them how to make her a bath. So she doesn't even have to prepare it. They know how to turn the water on and they know how and, and to start preparing it for her. So she's learned how to use husband. He has to set up the bedroom with the candles and the music before she comes up to the bedroom. So she's not doing everything herself. She's got this team of her two boys and her man. And she's taken the time to think about how can they help mom? It's good. It's really useful. And you cannot believe how many things they can do. What would you advise to women? Because I know a lot of women, uh, especially in my age, who are uh, very angry at their uh, husbands because they don't help, because uh, yeah. of the mental load. I don't know how you say in English and everything. But uh, yeah. women are very angry. And yes, it puts you a bit in a, in a dark place, like in sure a does. gray zone. Like It's so well described, Rose. It is a gray zone. It's almost like you're stuck in formaldehyde. Uh, You're like, I can't move forward. I can't move backwards. I can't get out of this. Like, it's a trap. And my all four of my books have a practice in there called spring cleaning, which is a practice where a woman gets to kind of dump her garbage, dump the rage, the anger, the disappointment, the disapproval that she feels. Because if she can sort of like vacuum that crap out of her (laughs) system, then she can turn to her husband, who simply is ignorant because he was raised by a mom that didn't teach him how to serve the feminine in a way that she deserves to be served because his mom didn't know better. And then she can teach him and she she can just turn to him and say, hey, baby, you want to know? It's so happy when you do the dishes dry them oh my god when you put them (laughs) away and then you sweep the floor of the kitchen like i i cannot even tell you how much (laughs) joy that brings me it's amazing i can't i don't even know i can't even tell you uh so i just even the thought of it is is incredible so she's she can kind of guide him to serve her through uh, teaching him what she longs for rather than criticizing him for what he lacks. And it's just faster. You know, I've tried both. I'm, I'm like, I come from a legacy of women criticizing men. I, I learned that at my mother's knee and it just never got me what I wanted. 
So okay. I changed gears. So let's talk about uh, your life and what put you on uh, on this uh, journey. Have you um, always been that radiant? Oh God, <laughs> no! I was like, uh, honestly, I think I was like the most invisible, most unhappy, most depressed creature. I I come from a family where there were some abuse patterns in my family, and so I uh, never really uh knew about I mean I I never really thought about it as a problem because it was just what happened at my house but it had a, it had a an impact in me where I just felt so disconnected from myself as a woman I didn't know who I was as a woman I didn't know how to move forward I, I had so much self-doubt and self-criticism I was literally immobilized I wanted to be an actor, I because I I felt it was my way of expression, but could, I didn't even have the confidence to go for an audition. So I just worked waiting tables and trying different kinds of therapy and trying things to get myself to feel better. And I was just so stuck. And I noticed that I was not alone. That you know, my friends. I had gone to a woman's college, and I noticed that many of my friends were similarly stuck. Like one of them. She was an artist, but she could never charge for her work because she didn't feel valuable. Another one, uh, she had this huge dream of uh, creating her own theater company, but she ended up working for her dad because she didn't believe in herself. And I just thought, what is going on? There's like a crisis of confidence amongst women. And I'm having terrible mental health issues and I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. I can't find any help for it. So that was me before I discovered the power of pleasure. And how did you discover it? Like what happened to you? When I was a very little girl, when I would go to sleep at night, about five or six years old, I had this vision that the goddess would come and visit me and she would sit on the edge of my bed and I could feel her and I could feel this beautiful, radiant, feminine presence. And when I turned my head to look, she would vanish. And so I was like, whoa, because it never occurred to me. I, you know, my background is I'm Jewish. So the God figure was masculine. And it's same with, you know, Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, you know, most of the dominant religions is the, it's God is a man. And so I was like, whoa, but I'm having these goddess visions and mm. I want to find her maybe, you know, so I, I spent, you know, my childhood and teenagers, like looking for her in different shrines and churches and temples. And I could never find, I never found a practicing goddess religion. But what happened was I was taking a class because I wanted to be an actor. I was taking a class because I did an audition and the people at this uh, place I had auditioned, they said, you know, you're a really good actor, but you have no sexuality in your performance. And that means you're going to get cast as women 20 years older than you and you better learn about your sexuality and i was like oh my god I, okay i better so i took a class called basic sensuality from a school called morehouse uh, lafayette morehouse and uh, only in the us you can find those classes 
Oh, you know it, baby. You know it, but <laughs> we're bringing them to Marrakesh now. We are bringing them. <laughs> so I, I took this class and uh, they gave us this homework where you had to create a pleasurable experience for yourself. And this was revolutionary for me because I knew how to take care of people, but I did not know anything so I about creating pleasure for myself. So I, I bought myself flowers. I bought myself sparkling water, some cheese, some chocolate. I, I cleaned up my little apartment. I, I gave myself a rose petal bath. I got out of the tub. I look in the mirror. I feel the music is playing. The candles are lit. And I look in the mirror and I see, oh, the goddess that I've been looking for my entire life. There she is. She's in the mirror. You found her. Okay. Look, looking back at me. And I was like, oh shit. If the goddess has been hiding in me, she's been hiding in every woman. And women don't know that we are divine. And so I got to tell everybody. I got to tell everybody. And that's how the seed got planted for what became the School of Womanly Arts, was my finding the goddess inside of my reflection for the first time in my whole life. Do you have some women uh, a bit shocked when you're talking always. about? Yeah. Always. And always. do you have some women like leaving the classes straight away who cannot uh, listen to that or? They, they, yeah. Oh my God. My editor for my very <laughs> first book, which is called Mama Gina School of Womanly Art. And I'm so excited because my editor is going to come to my class and then that will make our work together so much better because she'll be in my school. So the first day, the first assignment, uh, she's in class and uh, she, the, uh, the assignment is to draw or paint your pussy on a big piece of paper. And I give okay. out <laughs> glitter glue and paint and all kinds of things for people to paint their pussy. She's like, I got to go. And she gets up <laughs> and she runs out the door down the street, never to come back to class again. Oh, no. Did she publish a book? She did. We worked it out. <laughs> and she actually did make her painting on her office wall. She got a frame for it because she felt so proud when she finally made it. But here's the funny part. It looked like a vase for okay. flowers. And so <laughs> I was like, hmm, I never saw a pussy that looked like a vase. I've seen thousands of pussies. But hey, it's interpretive art. That is the problem. <laughs> It doesn't have to be exact. This could be an interpretation. So, um, yeah, so many, it's, it's, it is scary, right? Because this is a part of us that our culture has told us to fear that we're wrong. If we have a pussy, we're wrong. If we self-pleasure or touch our pussies, we're wrong. If we let boys or girls touch our pussies, you know, when we're dating, We're too slutty. If we have too many partners, we're repressed. If we don't have yeah. enough partners, like, uh, you know, we, we get uh, criticism in every way, no matter what we do. Yeah, society organization, like, I think, um, find uh, the freedom of the women uh, dangerous in a way. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, but really the dangerous thing is when women are not free. Because then women feel powerless and they don't feel like they can say no when someone is 
asking something of them that they don't wish to give. They feel like they have to allow someone else to own their body if they don't own it themselves. They feel that they can't fight back when there's repression uh, in their culture or community. And in, in many parts of the world, that is true, that if you fight back or stand for yourself, you can uh, be hurt or killed. So there's many good reasons for women to be fearful of their sex and sensuality and their eroticism, but we will never have true liberation until we can have ownership of our bodies. There's no way. Uh, so I soldier on. And I have to say, I, I, I've done a, an extraordinary job of seducing the world and shifting the world. There, you know, Even the fact that I was able to publish a book called Pussy, a reclamation is a miracle that I never could have done, you know, 20 years before when I'd started the school. That would have never, ever happened. Yeah. Uh, so change is possible. It's happening. It's going to continue. Uh, we're going in the in the right direction for the feminine. But uh, and I know that there's a lot of darkness surrounding us now, but I believe that the darkest hour is just before the dawn. I feel that there's tremendous reason to hope that our world will wake up and value every drop of itself, including the feminine. Would you say that um, having big darkness and going through um, really big challenges like you had allow you to wake up? Otherwise, if you're a bit like comfortable and uh, having no issues, it's harder to wake up in a way? Yeah, I think that there's no woman alive that doesn't have big issues. We can't live in this world and read the newspaper without having big issues. Like there's so much going on that can give a woman a tremendous sense of heartbreak. Oh man, all of us. But we have to remember the cyclical nature of woman is very different from man, right? We ovulate, we menstruate, you know, where there's a sort of during ovulation, the tumescence in her body increases and expands as you know, that she's creating this egg, which if it doesn't get fertilized, it then she, two weeks later, she sheds the lining of her uterus, the egg, she bleeds with menstruation. There's different sensations in her body. So, uh, and there's different responses in the body. You know, very often a woman before her menstrual period will feel stronger emotions, you know, things that maybe she could push down. She's uh, saying her truth and maybe uh, being irritated uh, with her family, her friends, uh, because finally this <laughs> churning inside of her has her give voice to something that she's been holding back. So uh, even within a month of a woman's life, she's got a lot of different range of emotions and experiences. And then, of course, over a lifetime, of the feminine, you know, the, er, when, when, uh, there's so many ruptures, you know, if, uh, she doesn't get into the college, the university that she's wishing that could be a tremendous rupture. Or if she does get into the university that she's wishing, she, it's another kind of rupture because she's filled with fear, you know, about, is this right? Will she do well? You know, so it's like one of the, very important parts of my work is teaching women how to navigate the vicissitudes of life, how to stay turned on 
and plugged into erotic aliveness, whether she is in the midst of the biggest devastation and grief possible, or she is in the middle of a life transition of uh, getting married, having a baby, uh, getting a divorce, whatever the life transitions are, but having a way to embody all that is a practice that I teach called swamping, which we will do in Marrakesh. It's such a powerful, powerful, powerful practice for a woman to move her body through all of the range of emotions and celebrate those emotions rather than not, try to not push put them, them under down. the carpet or put them exactly. under the carpet. Okay, wow. Exactly. So you're going to do that in uh, Marrakesh? Yes, we what are. What else are you going to do? Well, it's going, to, it's going to be such a fun journey because part one is going to be sort of like a, a, a gentle, beautiful, sacred, delicious opportunity for a woman to really get to know her body in an utterly safe way in a small container of sisterhood in this absolutely gorgeous resort where we're going to be pampered and it's and there's going to be so many experiences of beauty and kind of a way for a woman to retune her instrument to the pleasure that she deserves and the pleasure that fuels her desires and her longings are very important so we'll learn different practices for how you make pleasure a larger part of your life no matter how busy you are how many uh responsibilities you have and then we'll connect to a woman's desire, because one of the things that I feel is my responsibility as a facilitator is to really fan the flames of women's desires wherever I encounter them, because women's desires are just one of the most powerful forces on earth, so worthy of woman living her desire, because a, a desire is something unique. It is the connection between the human and the divine it's the uh, it's 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 that which is greater than you that is living inside of you and it's my belief that a woman were born to live the every drop of their dreams and desires you can't live those dreams and desires until you have a pleasure practice to fuel you and then of course as when you begin to live your desires ruptures always happen there's always moments where you get too scared or there's an obstacle that needs to be overcome. And in supportive community, we can learn how to deal with those obstacles or feels feelings or experiences that a grief is too big and you can't get over it. Or uh, and and then we'll we'll do the practice of swamping that that will take place. Uh, and women will learn that and they can take that home with them. So it's just like such a beautiful education in all of the subtle layers that will feed a woman's feminine soul and empower her in myriad ways as she then returns to her life with this community and with this sisterhood and with these practices so that she can live her fullness. I really believe in uh, staying in touch after, uh, with some women with whom you experienced like, yeah. such such a powerful moment and uh, mm -hmm. in a, a good sisterhood. Yeah, that's yeah. Really, yeah, really something very powerful. Yeah, and we will have that because after the course, you know, the community will stay connected. Uh, you know, there's so many wonderful ways to keep the connections with with uh, WhatsApp and all kinds of 
all kinds of things so that we can keep that sisterhood alive as women go up, go back into their lives. So I'm going to end up, Gina, uh, with uh, some uh, small questions. What are the tips, uh, your tips, to keep a man in love for a long time? Mm, I think that uh, what attracts a man to be eternally in your service is when you are turned on, you continually use him for your pleasure so that he gets to contribute to you. Because that's what men love to do. They just want to make us happy. They might not know how, but we can we can teach them. What are your tips uh, to get a woman happy uh, for a long time and in love? Uh, first thing is a woman has to fall in love with herself. And when she begins to have a pleasure practice, you know, even something like, I noticed you have this beautiful mug that you were sipping out of. Yeah. <laughs> like even yeah. something like that, where you have, instead of just having like some old chipped mug, you choose this beautiful mug with a leaping fox on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tiny thing, but it's a pleasurable thing. Yeah. And so when a woman has a pleasure practice, uh, she remains in love with herself and that love continues to expand and expand. And the pleasure practice continues to expand and expand. And then the pleasure in her life can continue to expand and expand. And it's a worthy investment. A married man, I'm scared that if my wife encounters turn on, she will leave you. Oh my goodness. If your wife encounters turn on and connects to her eroticism and her erotic fire, she will have so much use for you. She will be so turned on to you, her partner. And she will have so much more vocabulary of ways to connect powerfully. Because when women don't really know how to expand their pleasure, it's difficult for them to invite men or their partners into that world. I'm an 80 years old uh, lady, single. I think it's too late for me. <laughs> you know, my mama took my course. And when she was 85, you know, she had lost my dad some years before when she was 85 she ran into a man in the lobby of her building and he, she had known him for years when he was married to his wife who had died a year before and my mom is such a good flirt <laughs> that she looked at him and she said huh i keep running into you if i run into you again you're gonna have to take me out to lunch no way okay <laughs> <laughs> so you have good genes <laughs> Well, I, my, I think I've learned very well from my mom, but I just want to say that flirtation is a spiritual practice. And it's a practice that once we can learn, which we will learn in Marrakesh, you can flirt with anybody. You can flirt with puppies, babies, with other men in your age group or other men that are much younger than you. You can flirt with your girlfriends. It's just, uh, it's adds so much fun to your life and to the world. We are a three years old couple and uh, having experiencing less and less uh, desire. Should we split? I would say absolutely no way. You know, desire is something that we ne were never taught how to cultivate. Inside of this culture, if you think about it, the reason people get married a generation or two ago was to put a roof over the head, food on the table. So we learned about relationship from people whose goal was survival. 
Now it's our opportunity to create relationships where pleasure is a priority. You know, in many countries and cultures, we can each support ourselves. And that way, but when we come together, once we learn about pleasure, we can each learn how to cultivate a deeper, pleasurable experience with ourselves and each other. And then that becomes a really fun practice. Like my partner and I have been together for seven years and we continually uh, take turns, like who's going to set up the date tonight? And, mm. you know, so that we can surprise each other and bring in new experiences that we both would enjoy having. So it's just, it's just that couple has not learned the discipline of pleasure yet, but it's learnable. Uh, my partner wants, and there's going to be the last little question, my partner wants more intimacy than me. What do I do? What do we do? <laughs> <laughs> this is a really good question. I think there's many solutions. Um, I think sometimes I've gone through periods of my life where I've just decided, you know what, I'm just going to say yes whenever my partner wants sensual contact, even if I don't, and see if it's nice for me and see if I can get turned on because maybe maybe my partner's right. There would be a lovely turn on experience. And then I've gone through other phases of my life where I've said, okay, you know what I'd love to do? I'll just, I just want to lie here and I'm going to watch you pleasure yourself because I'm not really in the mood to stroke you right now or connect with you right now, but I'd love for you to have that experience. Or I'll say, I could say to him, why don't you go and give yourself an experience and then tell me about it afterwards. So I think you just have to experiment and find your way. I'm going to ask you the last uh, question, uh, the harvest of the day. If there is one thing that gives you hope, what is it? I think the one thing that gives me hope is the power of the feminine, the untapped power of the feminine. I feel like the world right now is hungry for new ideas. And when a woman connects to her erotic aliveness, her voice is literally the greatest untapped natural resource on this planet. And I believe in our lifetimes, we are going to see the voice of the feminine rise and the whole world will benefit. And that gives me a tremendous amount of hope. Thank you so much, Mamadina, for sharing your passion, your story, your knowledge. And uh, people of Harvest, if you want more, you can join Mamadina for uh, a retreat in uh, Marrakesh. Uh, very soon, you can book on uh, www.harvestseries.com. Thank you, Regina. It was fabulous. And uh, I hope you, to Rose. see you soon. Yeah, likewise. I hope to see you in Marrakesh. Yeah, I hope so. Bye-bye. Au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs> Au revoir. I hope you enjoyed this episode and Mama Gina's story, sense of humor, and a view on how women have to reclaim pleasure to be able to be happier and to give more to the world. If you did, please leave us a good review and follow us on Instagram, Harvest Series. You can also watch our podcast on youtube.com slash harvest series. Next episode will be with Alison and Alex Gray. They are visionary artists and will share their love and creative journey. Don't miss the episode. Until next time.